0: This week we are talking about the Super League I'm Britt he's Chaz and this is the Furious Curious We
1: are welcoming Mike Reader. Mike Reader is a self-described brand and customer strategy nerd. He's driven strategies for some of the best brands in the world, including Nike, Xbox, Alexa, Levi's, Molson Coors, Coca-Cola, Starbucks, and Microsoft. He's recently launched a strategy consultancy named Smiling Lions, where he develops communication strategies for brands, startups, and agencies. The work is grounded in optimism and empathy with a fervent belief that creativity, technology, and storytelling can transform the brand and customer relationship, while also enhancing the communities they share. Welcome to the Furious Curious Mike.
2: Thank you. That, you know, you, that actually sounded really good. That sounded like I'm important. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, no worries. <laughs> I actually wrote it earlier, <laughs> I, I jest, I jest. So, Mike, I thought about you um, as it relates to. We've been talking recently about the various things you're doing out in the world with the founding of Smiling Lions. But very specifically, I thought about you as it relates to this European Super League uh, controversy slash fiasco slash uh, cultural phenomenon. Um, so, I'd love to talk to you about it because you're, you're, you know, as far as American soccer fans go, you are the most enduring that i know so uh, i would love just before we begin to get your take on why soccer slash football as, as it's known on the different parts of the world and uh and what's your overall take on this
2: um i thought it was ridiculous from the very beginning I, even the name like mm-hmm. super league like that was the least imaginative name they could have given it and it mm-hmm. felt very it felt like a and i And I don't know enough of like the ins and outs of it, as I understand it, it, I think it began in Spain or that's where the idea was hatched. It just felt very disconnected from the fans. Mm -hmm. You know, I focus a lot on English soccer, so it certainly was not something that took the fans into consideration at all. Yeah, And, uh, I just think it, it it was just a, a way to get more money. Um, mm-hmm. I know that the 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 the, uh, the pandemic has hurt these teams quite a bit, particularly these bi- the big super teams, as they like to call themselves. Um, but this was not the solution.
0: Yeah. So just just so just to jump in really quick, here's how I understand it. So there was a group of I think 12 teams from across uh, Europe's biggest leagues. They announced plans to form this like super league. And they were going to offer these permanent spots to some of the world's biggest clubs and play matches midweek while allowing uh, the involved clubs to remain in their domestic competition. So this was a this was a breakaway different different league, just just for people who don't know about it. And the plan became really opposed by FIFA, by the governing body, uh, by UEFA and UEFA. Yep. Yeah, UEFA. Sorry, you, you'll you'll learn really, really quickly. My limited knowledge on no, but that's soccer. good, man. That's I'm, good. I'm, I'm yeah. playing the um, I'm playing the the dumb skeptic here, or just the you know the, the person who does really who loves the idea of soccer, as they say, but doesn't mm-hmm. really know a lot about soccer. So that that's how I understand this. This was going to be a breakaway league. It was going to be a revenue source for. Uh, for some of these bigger teams and it just there was a huge wave of of opposition from governing from governments i hear uh boris johnson jumped in on this uh from fans of course so that i think that's where we're at with this right
1: yeah that's that's exactly it and it's not uh, i just actually read some interesting quotes this morning and this sort of actually gets at least for me to the yeah. heart of what why this matters yeah um it was actually a uh, real madrid real madrid rather President uh, Florentino Perez, he said, if Nadal p- plays Federer, everyone watches. If Nadal plays the number 80 in the world, nobody watches. And if you're wondering why this came about, and I think you know, we, we get to this in the five reasons why, but it, it's almost too democratic European football, right? Like there, there are a lot of sort of inconsequential games that no one's really interested in. Uh, but at the same time, they these games that you know might not generate huge um, you know viewership online. They are big revenue spinners for these smaller clubs, which is why the fans have a big issue with. It. So overall, Mike, I mean, what's what's your take on that?
2: Well, you know what? It's it's interesting because the every time I read a U.S. take on it, the yeah. example is always, um, what if the Yankees and the, the Sox. The, you know the top five baseball teams. You know made their own league because those are the games everybody wants to watch. Yeah, big rivalries, right? Right, right. Um, and I think that's the wrong take. I think okay. that, like the 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 way that I think about it is, and I agree with you. This idea that it's almost too democratic, but at the same time, I'm also a romantic. I love mm-hmm. it when the little clubs play when manchester united has to go to hole or yeah, we you know get and with the with the um uh with the in in season tournaments that they have going in the epl yep the and it's like that all through europe and i t- to me that is i i don't the, comparing it to to the tennis star is i don't know i just don't think i don't like that take i, I just think sure. it's I, do i love it when the big clubs play each other of course i do um but fans of these teams are going to watch their teams play anybody so sure
1: well well how about this take because uh, I, and i think i shared it with you guys yesterday it, like college football is similarly democratic like in terms of there are technically more you know more than 100 teams in the u.s but at the same time there's still the blue chippers that everyone cares about every year the alabama the ohio state the usc like we, you know, the Tennessee, all, all these players. I don't know why I said Tennessee. Geez. You, know, you know what I'm saying. And at the same time, a lot of these players, it, like, I guess what I'm saying is there, there's an injustice to the status quo, a perceived injustice that some of the, the blue chippers are bankrolling a lot of the, I guess, the, the minnows. And you could say, well, that, that's great. And, and I agree with the romantic take, and I think everyone agrees, and it's very much entrenched in football followership, followership around the world, but could you make the case that it's a little bit unfair to the ones who are, you know, shouldering the, the responsibility of profitability for these, um, these leagues?
2: Uh, well, that's why it's the league though, right? Yeah. Like these super teams don't exist without the smaller teams. They just don't, and yeah. they don't pile up these statistics without the smaller teams. And look, at, I mean, the EPL is a great example with the... Uh, Lesser City, you know, yeah, yeah. came out of nowhere. What three, four years ago, won the entire thing. We're we're unstoppable. What What if this? Had, what would happen to? What What would happen to that? Would Would they fight to join the Super League the following season and then go back to their normal style of play, which they did?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that. That actually is a nice segue into the the five reasons why. Which you know we have this rubric. Skeleton on on the furious curious where we actually address a range of these different things and we often we try and bring it up early because otherwise we cover the stuff and then we talk about it later. Mm -hmm. So uh, what you bring up is really interesting. The Leicester City example is a great one. Now, one of the the first reason why uh, I'm calling ingrained elitism, like we think, well, this is a very much an elitist take, uh, the Super League or, or or an elitist goal approach. But that said, European football has ingrained elitism already, so that's what I'm calling this, ingrained elitism. Now, the 2021 Premier League season is the 28th since the 22 clubs broke away from the Football League to set up their own competition at the the end of the 91-92 season. Now, how many clubs have won in that period of time? How many clubs have won the Premier League in 28 years? It just is a total, if you had to guess. Six. It's actually seven. Oh. So, I mean, what I'm saying is it, it, is, it is already, uh, you know, the cream rises to the top. Yeah. We yeah. are seeing certain players, you know, gravitate towards certain t- um, clubs. Leicester City is, talk about a Cinderella story. It came out of nowhere. No one could expect that to win. And I think because there are no playoffs within the Premier League, there is not the chance for the upset. So just by virtue of the, the sheer number of games one plays, the superior team tends to win. It's not like 2007 Super Bowl where the Patriots went 18 and one and lost to the Giants, right? Like, the, and the same with the NBA to a degree because it's over a seven-game series. Upsets play, you know, a lesser part. So I guess what I'm saying is there is already entrenched elitism, certainly in the Premier League. Then, if you look at other clubs within Europe, the Bundesliga in Germany is 57 years old. 57 years old, and one club has won it, Bayern München or Bayern Munich, 29 times mm. out of 57 seasons. Um, a total of 62 teams have competed in La Liga in Spain since its inception, and nine teams have won, with Real Madrid uh, winning the title 34 times and Barcelona 26 times, right? So, I mean, and then you look at Serie A in Italy, Juventus has won 36, Inter Milan 18, and AC Milan is 18. Uh, So more than half the titles in uh, 100 years. So I guess what I'm saying is we're already seeing this mass elitism slash stratification Mm -hmm. of success and and spoils and profitability so like i guess you know uh, some of these elite clubs wanting to control their own destiny a bit more um you get any take on that mike that's
2: really that's a really interesting way way to way to think about it The, the 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 thing that occurs to me in the european leagues is the inequality in spend I mean, if there's Mm. any, if Mm. there's one, if there's a good, if there's a good American uh, approach to this, it would be the salary cap. Right. Mm. So Mm. I, I'm a big F1 fan as well. F1 is instituting what essentially is a salary cap for next year. Who's your team in F1?
1: Yeah. McLaren. Oh, my boy. Yeah. (laughs) He's from my hometown, Daniel Ricciardo.
2: Yeah. I love Danny. Danny Avocado, Danny, Danny Rick. He's great. Um, Yeah, so I I I I wish they would put, especially in the Premier League. If you look at the finances, I saw a thing yesterday, and I was going to send it to you, a chart of the twelve teams and their finances, and they're Mm. all just like, they're they're just all in debt. They've just got massive debt, Mm. and they're just it's just spend, spend, spend to get Mm -hmm. the best players, Mm -hmm. and they're not. And I understand like this. Super League is supposed to help alleviate that, yeah. But it, I also think it just crushes the 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 um, the domestic leagues. I just don't think it's fair to those teams. And I'm a big fan of the of, of the European Championship, so I I like all the teams going and playing in that tournament, the best teams. So that's, that's how it should be.
0: So that's yeah. why I feel like that's why it, it this even precipitated was on the table in the first place. I know. I'd, I think at some point, maybe in the early. 90s there was an attempt at a super league or something like it i think according to wikipedia but is that the main driver here is that a lot of these teams had huge revenue or were in debt and maybe didn't have a great uh revenue structure before the pandemic and then now the pandemic hit and a lot of them are in debt and this was this opportunity to uh to recap or to recoup some of that lost revenue during COVID 19. it seems
1: like that's why this was even a consideration for yep. for teams okay well i mean that's a nice little segue i mean you, we had that here the recoup revenue yeah I mean, that, that yeah, seems like five. to be so pivotal um but uh, just going on that cash is king uh, the, the first reason why i had here um you know unlike when you think of other sort of the elite <laughs> leagues in the world like a lot of them are, are in the u.s where there's an unequivocal top tier, there's an unequivocal best. Like the football, soccer landscape is, is actually quite diluted throughout mainly, you know, England, Spain, Italy, Germany. Um, you know, When you think about this opportunity uh, to join an elite league, um, estimates of each of these new teams, each you know, team that joins could get an injection of $400 million a year just from this competition. So, you know, like, again, the profits flowing upstream and there's just going to become more stratification, more elitism, right? So, calling it cash is king. Yeah. At the end of the day, that, that seems to be a pretty um, – it's 100% about money. Uh, I think Gary Neville was saying, oh, it's total greed. Um, is there any other reason apart from cash is king, Mike, that you think uh, is, the, I guess, the impetus for a league like this?
2: Uh, I think that's probably the leading reason. I think the other one is kind of what they said, um, and maybe we could even talk about the announcement at some part, s- sure. some point. Yeah. Um, but I actually think it's it's also like these would be classic matches, right? Like yeah. it would be mm-hmm. great to see this. But again, you know, the goodwill out. You 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 see this in the European Championships, like this is right. UEFA, like this is. I love those big teams playing each other, but the idea that there's going to be like a super league and that they're going to be able to like to me it just to, to me other than the finances it's the spectacle of it um wow. and again you know some of these teams like tottenham tottenham's horrible like it's not yeah it's just it's about money but tottenham's also got this gorgeous new stadium mm-hmm. and nobody's ever seen a game in it like it's empty <laughs> for a year yeah. you know uh. um
1: who, who is your, you, you're, you're still a newcomer, sorry, I don't even need to ask, I, I, we can edit this out if you like, but one of your children's middle names is named after one of your heroes, am I, am I right?
2: Uh, uh, <laughs> my son is named Keegan, and uh, it's after Kevin Keegan. Sorry, um,
1: I know his middle name, actually, I, I'm not going to say it, but...
2: Um, uh, yeah, you know what? His middle name is, yeah, yeah, Coltrane. It's such a Gen X thing to have done to my children. But um,
1: Oh, we haven't even got to the Gen X section yet.
2: Yeah. Well, look, he, Kevin Keegan, Newcastle. It, the sad thing about naming my son Keegan after Kevin Keegan is he, Kevin Keegan was an amazing player for Liverpool. I named him after when he was coaching at Newcastle. So that's where I picked up on Kevin Keegan. So that's even sadder. Like I'm a sad example of a soccer fan, L- naming him after a coach. But it was a great season when Ke- when Keegan was coaching. He had some he had some good seasons there. Was
1: was that the Alan Shearer era? Yes. Oh, okay, lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, early be, '90s. Definitely.
2: It was all happening for me in the early '90s. It was great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, just going to the number two. I got. I got. Oh, sorry, go. Sorry, Brett. You guys.
0: So for Cassius King, I I hear this like okay, so this guarantees more revenue for these teams, but but how I, I don't get why this opens up a whole revenue source for them by creating this new league. I guess maybe it's a obvious question, but, or a dumb question, but I don't have an, is it, is it sponsorships? Is it like, I don't, I don't see the, I don't see the, the, Is it a broadcast rights for the midweek thing? Like what makes this like such a compelling, besides just having another league and more games, where's this revenue coming from? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand the economics of it. What makes it
1: different? Yeah. I I think you just hit upon three reasons. Like, (laughs) no, no, seriously. Like like there is, there's a new league. So it's a new set of games, but at the same time, they're the absolute top tier games in the world. Um, so, broadcast rights, sponsorship, absolutely more. Just general high viewership, ex- high viewership exposure, uh, the capacity to build, you know, get a global audience for this. People Where, are going to watch Real Madrid and Manchester United. Yeah, like for, for versus, example, like, yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah versus yeah. a minnow when they're playing. Like a lot of these clubs, you won't even like. My, my, I was talking to my brother the other day. He's in Rhode Island, and he's like, you know, he's sort of a, actually, I'm, I won't characterize his views on the world and what have you. But he said, oh, you know, this is my team and they're this, and they're a perennial cellar dweller of um, the Spanish league. And I'm like, why? Like, like, Who would ever watch that? Like, it just seems like, you know, self-flagellation. And it's, um, you know, pe- people make these decisions for different reasons, but no one cares about them because they're always like on the cusp of being relegated or not. So it's like, you know, to, to Florentina Perez's comment, like people, like whether you're, you know, in um in Southeast Asia or you're in Valencia, these new games it could be, you know, Manchester United versus, uh, you know, uh, Real Madrid, and you're seeing them regularly. Like you're gonna get more, I guess, uh, dependable viewership, right? So than then when they're playing one of the minnows, so I think ultimately that's that's the the answer. Now,
0: does that then back to Michael's point where? A big, a big, like you know, a, a dynasty goes has to go through a smaller uh, town to play. Do we lose that? Is that is that what is that is that what you're getting at, Michael? We kind of lose that interesting juxtaposition of like, uh, you know, a stall, a, a huge mammoth team having to go play an underdog in their town.
2: Well, yeah, no. Yeah. Well, look, they would still play those games. They would still play their domestic schedule in, yeah. in their leagues, as I gotcha. understand it. Um, but they're not. They're not going to field their strongest team They're, You know, the players can only play so many matches.
0: I see. Yeah. Look
2: at the EPL. You've got the season and then within the season, you've got the FA cup, which is a tournament within the season. Yeah. And then the the thing that I absolutely love about European soccer is the relegation, like the up and down through the leagues. Mm -hmm. I live in Seattle. The Mariners should have been relegated. Yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> Could, but, can we,
1: yeah, Mike? But, just, but I'd yeah. love to. Can you describe that? Because I know for some of our listeners, they're not going to be new to that. They're going to be new to that term. Exactly how relegation works, and as I understand, it's different between leagues. But yeah, I'll, I'll let you.
2: Yeah. S- describe. So for the and and being a Newcastle fan, I know relegation pretty well. Like Newcastle, <laughs> when I started following them in the late '80s, early '90s, early '90s, they were really good. They were a top-flight team. Over the years, they've spent uh, unwisely. They've, they've picked up, you know, players that they shouldn't have. They've gone down the league. They've fallen out of the Premier League into League One. Mm-hmm. So the the English league there's there's four levels. Basically, you've got the champion. I think it's called the. I think
1: the, it's called the championship. Yeah, the or championship. Watch, yeah,
2: yeah. Those teams, the top three teams every season, go up into the Premier League. In the Premier League, the bottom three teams go down. So every single season, your team risks relegation, and and you know for a, and 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 it and it will even and you know I keep thinking about your stats earlier about the number of winners in the in the EPL and all these 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 leagues, and I I hadn't really thought of it like that, um, but anyway, uh, relegation to me is. I would love relegation in U.S. leagues. It's impossible because of the finances. It just yeah. is. Um, but there is something about a glorified college team making its way up yeah. into the Premier League. Leicester's a great example of that.
1: Yeah, it, it, essentially, like these perennial cellar dwellers. Let's take the NBA, right? You know, whether it's Sacramento Kings, Charlotte Hornets, the last several, like they're both half decent this year. But in the last 20 years and you know, throughout the history, oh, Timberwolves is another one, they've often been pretty dumb. Now imagine oh, – dumb. Not good. Um, Britt, imagine if there was a you know, Division II, NBA Mark II, or NBA Division II, right? where the champion, the top three, would move up and the bottom three would move down. Like it's, it's quite remarkable. And also, certainly as it relates to draft picks, very specifically related to a sport like basketball as well as football um, – sorry, American football – like it would stop the the quote unquote tanking where they they yep. realize halfway through the season that they're going to be bad. They cut their losses. So they to cut get, a lot, to get a good draft pick. It, exactly. Right. Now yeah. that's you know whether various teams will admit to that at, at various levels, but it's absolutely true. They'll say, "Oh, okay, we've got no chance of you know making the top four. You know, we're on the cusp of the eight. We're you know getting in the playoffs. Screw it. I'd rather like get a top tier talent for next year as opposed to just." being a perennial middle dweller. Like the Indiana Pacers is a good example of that, right? They're never, they're never really amazing, but they're never really terrible. They're kind of in between. So mm-hmm. I think that's, um, it's, it's, super, it's super relevant. And I agree, like the Mariners in, um, in, in Seattle, Mike, uh, oh, geez. They, they've never been good. I mean, right. sorry, Ken Griffey Jr., but that's it.
2: Well, they had one season where they won 116 games. Let us yep. not forget, 2001. Sure. But other than that, it's been an abomination, but I grew up in Oak. Well, you know, my formative years are in Oakland. I was an mm. A's fan. The are you a's, still? I love the A's. Yeah, yeah, I love the A's, but I follow them. I, I follow the Mariners and the A's. But the thing that I love about the A's though, is, you know, in, forget money. I think money, money ball, that whole philosophy yeah. is really applicable here as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, cool. Interesting. But the thing about the A's that are so great is that. They'll go through three or four years in a row of being just horrible. Uh-huh. And then they will bring talent up through their organization and, yeah. and then rip off three pennants. Yeah. 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 You know, with on a shoestring. And it's and it's that is great. One thing I thought of is what about the idea of just fewer games? Yeah. If mm-hmm. there were one of the reasons I think the NFL is so great always, and why all the games are watched is that there's every game matters.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. football.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There are so many, uh, you know, baseball's a great example. There are so many games that just don't matter. And in basketball too. And the players will tell you that, right? Like, and I wonder if that could be the case in some of the, the European uh, football leagues. Like there's just too many games. Mm -hmm. Um, that would, that would save the team's money. It would make, each game more important um
1: i don't know it's you, you know it's, it's funny you say that because when i first moved to the u.s i, I came i was in 2007 in minneapolis and you know I'm, i've always been a huge sports fan of, of all flavor and i would wake up and i just I'd put sports center on as i'm getting ready for work and you know I'd stop and i'm like oh it's a, you know it's an april or may game you know it's like tampa bay rays against you know uh, milwaukee brewers i I'd like, I'd go okay what's the score on there okay cool and then i like I was getting like inundated with all these scores. I'm going, this is all totally inconsequential. Like, like uh, it doesn't matter. Like, even like if you're on a tear that early in the season, it doesn't matter. It only matters in, in you know, if making the playoffs, mm-hmm. and that's so far away. And so I just thought it, it's almost like a false sense of urgency or, or, or like a, a real lagging, you know, lack of interest uh, for those early season games, certainly in baseball. And same with, same with European soccer, that's for sure. Um, so what I just if, wanted. Oh, sorry, you go.
2: I was just going to ask, like, but you know, a, a great a, one of the things that's great about European football are those tournaments within the season. Yeah. So what if, like in baseball, the last game of a home stand was part of an overall tournament or a mm-hmm. you know some sort of playoff? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, I think you could make some of the lesser games more interesting by styling up the importance
1: of them. They need to experiment. Like, like I am- I know they're totally I, I, antiquated. I am shocked. I am shocked at the lack of innovation within baseball. Like, like I'm also like shocked at the lack of appetite for a degree of innovation. It's all that, they don't even try and rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. They're like, they just sort of go, all right, well, let's get something warm while we jump into the lifeboats. Yeah. Right? It's, it's really sad. When you think of like, because, you know, I'm a huge cricket fan growing up doing it, and I won't bore you guys with all the details, but since the 70s, the sport goes, oh, geez, we're a bit slow. We need to reinvent. They didn't like change the rules within the game, they brought in a whole new format. So they've gone from a five day game to a mm-hmm. one day game. Then that, like, huge money spinner, that became like a huge, like, the a key a prestigious form of the sport. Then 20 years later they go, you know what? We can actually add to this crash bang maelstrom of excitement and shorten it even further. Mm -hmm. So now they have three formats which has precipitated amazing innovation and, you know, also specialists that specialise in each of the different formats. Now there's all these breakaway leagues around the world, like the Indian Premier League was the first, but now all these sports have different ones where these players act as mercenaries going from country to country playing for these different clubs and making you know to the you know millions for an 8 week stint like it mm-hmm. could be a south african player you could be an australian player british player whatever english player going to india to play for the delhi capitals for 4 weeks or 6 weeks and you'll make like two, you know 5 mil right wow. it's just so and and it's also worth mentioning these these formats of the game did not even exist like a handful of years ago okay. and now they're the biggest cash cows for the sport and baseball's like Oh, should we keep the designated hitter or not? It's like, get a grip.
2: Yeah. <laughs> anyway,
0: sorry. All, all all they've done is just expand the uh the playoff picture. So, yep. you know, that that's basically I remember as a kid it was American League, National League, it was it was uh East and West. So, and it was just two divisions and there wasn't really a playoff. It's just like, you got your pennant at the end of the, at the end of the year, there may have been a tiebreaker and that was it. And it was a pretty uneventful October, relatively speaking. So I feel like the only thing that baseball has done is that is is expand their, uh, the the playoff prospects. But but back to Michael's point is there's so many games and and there's this kind of idea of like, when you have so many games, it's it's hard to have a sense of value, you know. I, I think about even with products. Like, you have a couple products on a table; they they feel more valuable unless you, if you had a whole pile of them, they they could actually cost the same, but the perception is that each one is not as valuable. So I think like what football has done, or NFL, American football, is they've made that one week thing, and it's and it's really an event. Mm-hmm. I'm curious why, you know, and we we can get off the MLB thing. I'm curious why they've they've steered steered away from that maybe their revenue at some point was uh it, you know stadium seating i was joking with my wife my wife said oh the 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 uh, the a's and the giants are are having um you know they're doing like 20% capacity now so i was like oh okay so like back to regular season cool okay <laughs> you know but it. so it's i'm curious like the eco, there's got to be an economic reason for this lack of change it can't just be cultural for Major league baseball but we, anyway we can get off of that i'm curious really quick guys enhancing solidarity payments this kept coming up in in the models that they were talking about what is what is solidarity payments sorry for the if it's a really dumb question I just kept hearing it in these articles do you guys know what that means
1: Mm -mm. no I I don't I don't think it's a dumb question at all
0: in the Super League they were like well this enhances solidarity payments to teams I was like what's solidarity payments or what's transfer fees like I I didn't this whole the whole economic structures of European soccer had these terms that I wasn't quite privy yeah. to. So, anyway, I just, that's was my, one of my Well,
1: questions. I think I can answer a transfer fee. That, that's essentially when a club buys a player from another club, right? So, say, like, a, a oh, good that example makes sense. right now. That's the thing, it's not necessarily a trade. It's like, a, um, like there's a, a young Norwegian star who plays for one of the big German teams, Borussia Dortmund. His name's Erling Haaland. Am I yeah. saying that right, Mike? Mm-hmm. And, and he's been courted by a range of these different, uh, you know, Top tier juggernaut teams, right? So even more rich teams. So like Manchester City, Barcelona, Real Madrid are looking to they'll look to buy this player from uh, Borussia Dortmund. Sure. And and they won't get anything in return. They'll just essentially sell sell like the him. Check. Yeah. 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 And but then they'll also have to double up and pay him a huge salary as well, right? So that that that's a transfer fee. Um, I imagine that solidarity payments is something to the tune of. Um, like the guaranteed kickback that these teams will get as a result of just being in the league that that's what my guess would be like j- just for participation like their participation fee but i could be wrong
0: michael can you can you do us a favor do me a favor at least the, so there is the premier league there's the ufa and then there's this super league like can you maybe like help us kind of push apart the the differences between these obviously the super league doesn't exist it's an idea still but mm-hmm. like for example like what makes it different between what they're what they're what they're proposing in the super league or now it's a, there's this it's a suspended it's not it's probably not going to happen at this moment but like tell us about the premier league tell us about UFA. like what are what makes those distinct even yeah. in a quick
2: encapsulation well, yeah yeah the uefa championship championships are great because just like relegation yeah it, there's a couple different sort of European tournaments that the teams can qualify for. Essentially, the top four teams that finish it in all the the uh, the top flight leagues in in the European countries. Mm -hmm. Top four teams of those leagues get put into a tournament playing the other top flight teams. So it's like that is a super yeah yeah it is. But you have to qualify for it. You're not just automatically in right. Like Arsenal, Ah, Arsenal's a great example for this Super League. Like Arsenal is a and and Tottenham, and same as Tottenham, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're not even they don't even qualify to play in Europe. Like and and yet they're a Super League, and the only reason they're a Super League is because, as I can read it, is they've just got massive debt. They're desperate to do something like that. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, They haven't been super in a long time. Now I hope that they become super, um, but I love like so that's the European Championship. So that's UEFA and it's a midweek tournament. And I think part of people's freak out about this is that the super league was, would, would essentially eradicate that. Ah, and okay. That's, and, and playing in Europe is a big deal. Like it's a big financial deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have to be a super club to make it right. You just, if you finish in the top four, you get to go play in Europe against the other big clubs. Well, against the other top flight clubs. So then you've got that. And then, and then you've got, you know, your, your domestic league. And then you've got, again, the, the, the relegation there. The thing about European football, that's so wonderful is there's always like they've managed to make so many games important. That's why when I, I, I hate this argument about like, nobody wants to watch Manchester United play Hull. Mm -hmm. They do. They, it does it get as big a ratings on TV. And again, guys, this is like the, the U S take on it. It's all about the ratings. It's all about, right. You know what I mean? Like, look at the one thing the NFL does a lot of is they Jimmy, the schedule, they, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, this is a different topic. We should go into sometime is what, you know, in, in some ways the NFL is making some mistakes and deluding themselves because when it was a Sunday and a Monday, like when uh, you had yeah. Monday night football, you had the, these focus. Now it's like Thursday. There's like a, a lot Thursday. more Thursday nights. Yeah.
1: And the yeah. players hate Thursday as well. They think it's yeah. like totally it's so terrible ther- Thursday for injuries night, and what have you.
0: I think Thursday night, used. To, it was an experiment. It was like two two games a year. That I think that's how it started. And then it just increased. And I feel like there's a Thursday, especially with um, more players buying broadcast rights like like uh, amazon prime for example Mm -hmm. it's expanded that flexibility for airtime where it can stream yeah so there's way more thursday games too so you you're you're saying they're they're kind of they need to be careful because they had this monday sunday thing it worked really well and they're kind of pushing out to other i mean i I, even with the pandemic this year i feel like there were even other games on like tuesdays and stuff
2: yeah i had a hard saturday I had a hard time following sport during the pandemic. Yeah. It just me too. not because I didn't care, but just, I didn't quite understand what, like, what was like the NFL was a little bit easier maybe, but sure. it just feels like every time I turn on TV, there's an NFL game. <laughs> and it, it, to me, that's how you make people less interested. You have to have like, there is something about scarcity. Yeah. To, make, to your point earlier about making it more valuable.
1: I totally agree, and I just want to close out on these five reasons why. So we've got yeah, yeah. we had um, uh, we had cash is king. We had ingrained elitism. We had uh, the opportunity for clubs to recoup lost revenue. Uh, we touched on this a little bit. Um, I'm calling this predictability. It's like some of these clubs with you know who are the, the brand name clubs, top tier clubs. They want you know says the Arsenal, for example, or Tottenham, big clubs, name brand clubs, but who aren't performing as well as perhaps their brand should suggest they do, it affords them a degree of predictability. So it, in, in many respects, it's a, it's a bit of a life vest for them to ensure they're continuously relevant. It just seems, and, and I don't know all the ins and outs of the you know, foreign investment, foreign, foreign money coming to buying these clubs, mm-hmm. but like Manchester City for a long time, they were like the, the red-headed yep. stepchild, or the blue-headed stepchild, if you will, of, uh, of that city, of Manchester City, you know, compared to Manchester United, which is the, perhaps the most iconic, Club in the world, and they were bought. Um, I'm not uh, the, the Sheikh or, of um, of Abu Dhabi. Essentially, the, the uh, I'm not sure his name. Sorry, I can't remember. But huge money investment. Now they have been dominant. I believe they've won five in the last yep. ten years. So it can happen very quickly. We're seeing this certainly a, a little bit different in the NBA. But it's foreign ownership. I believe it's Joe Tsai owns the Brooklyn Nets now. Um, Mikhail Prokhorov owned them for a little while. Didn't do that well, but there there is the opportunity for foreign money coming into these leagues, and we think like mm-hmm. this is a bit of a it, it's a it's a it's a life vest of of ongoing relevance to ensure that oh what if you know what if a, a, a huge Chinese conglomerate brought bought Fulham like a perennial cell, you know Premier League seller dweller or you know um, you know. The wander, you know, the wanderers, or I'm trying to think what else. Like in that sense, to me, that predictability—it's it's almost like trying to play it too safe without having earned it. But anyway, um, and the, the w- one other thing I'll talk about—I'm uh, calling it this—a suboptimal status quo. Um, you know, we talked about these twelve clubs, and we'll talk about who the clubs are in a stack, but they, they don't seem to like how UEFA runs the Champions League, and they don't think it delivers enough high-quality games in the digital media age. Uh, they don't like the fixture calendar, which is a schedule. I mean, so what's your take on on just that suboptimal status quo?
2: I think that's I think that's a valid argument. Yeah, I I do I I do think that you know one of the things about UEFA that's kind of crazy is how inflexible they are in mm. working with the teams, mm-hmm. and they're a little bit like FIFA in that way. You know, FIFA controls yeah. is the governing body of world football. Um, we haven't even gotten to like what. Super League could possibly do to the World Cup, like
0: mm, mm, so. <clears throat> um,
2: but it, it's a little bit like our baseball talk earlier. Like they're really inflexible about changing things, and quite frankly, it's bizarre to me that that they haven't done better at streaming and signed a big deal with a Netflix or an Amazon or something. At least in this country, um, they haven't. So it, it, most of the games are on obscure channels. It, it, should, it, it, it wouldn't be hard to, to make the, the UEFA Cup a bigger deal here, It just in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you see more. There's no reason that Premier League advertising should be better than yeah. UEFA.
2: You know? Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a, a more premium product. Um, so just want to recap. So we've got those five reasons why, um, closed off on them. I wanted to touch on the exact founding clubs. You know, we talked about um, all the, the per- perceived, proposed founding clubs. There were six within the, um, England. Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Tottenham Hotspur. Then we had three from Italy into Milan, Juventus and Milan, also known as AC Milan. And then three within Spain. Atletico Madrid, Barcelona and Real Madrid. The other proposed ones to round out the 15 were two German clubs, Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund, as well as uh, Paris Saint-Germain or Saint-Germain, as it appears. Uh, so that were the I just want to in case anyone was wondering, I know it's sort of dead in the water now for the moment, but they were the um, yeah, they were the clubs that were in question. And and all all pulled out and except for two right yep
0: that's correct They're, and and what were the two that that held out or hadn't really acted at all who are the ones that were still in it at the end you know what i think it's real madrid
1: i think it was one of the two spanish or two mm-hmm. spanish teams yeah yep. yeah my and barcelona i think i think atletico's pulled out you juventus and barca are thinking about it I th- think it's you know watch this space. It's probably going to change by the time this airs. <laughs> sure. But um, but uh, I think you know nature abhors a vacuum, right? And if there is an opportunity to make the top tier elite product better from a viewership standpoint, there's always going to be people knocking on the door. It's like Quebec secession. That's an obscure reference, right? There's always going to be there's yeah. an appetite for these kinds of things. They never tend to go away. I think we're going to see it here as well. Um, Shout out Mm. to my Canadian friends. I got it. I got it. Oh, go ahead, Michael.
2: Well, no, I was just going to say, you know, so one of the things that we haven't touched on is the marketing of this. Mm. Like this was just a really bad product rollout. Like the announcement was confusing. There was, it it felt like it, it felt like it was something that they knew wasn't like, that they didn't want anybody to kind of, they would have loved to have just been able to turn it on. Mm. Right. Like it just, it didn't, it lacked any, there was no showmanship. There was no, nobody tried to make it romantic. Nobody told the fans why it would, why it's good for them. Like there was Mm -hmm. nothing. It was literally just this idea that we're going to start this league. And it just came across as about the money. Everybody mm-hmm. knows it's about the money. That's fine, but
1: yeah, God,
2: at least put something over the top of it to get people excited, right? Right. To me, that, it was just yeah. That's yeah, so
1: it, true. Yeah, because you, yeah, sorry, keep going.
2: I, well, I was just gonna say, you know, the other one is even when um, I'm spacing the guy's name, the owner of uh, Liverpool uh, oh, oh, also oh, owns um, the socks,
1: John, John Henry.
2: Yeah, his sort of apology. Yeah, yeah, was. <laughs> It was first, you know, first off, super low energy. I get it. He wanted to sound contrite, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it just showed a real disconnect between mm-hmm. the owners of the team, at least using this Liverpool example, and the fans or and the country
1: that, yeah, that team yeah. was
2: located. The total like it felt very much to me like, you know, he I, I don't know. It, no, was, I, to me, it was very like very US centric that response. It was just goofy. The mm-hmm.
1: only, the only way it would have been more low energy is if they got the former governor of Florida <laughs> to uh, actually deliver the message. No, I, 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 I get you. Like, because Bush. he Bush. looked like the kid who got caught with his hand in yeah. the cookie jar, like like the kid, like, I'm sorry. And it was I'm sorry about our fans. I'm like, D- did you think they were going to love this?
0: <laughs> like, well, that's, that's my core. That's one of my big questions here is in their calculus for this. And, did they anticipate a backlash to this extent? And maybe the reason why it felt so ho-hum is like, they're like, if we do a, if we do a nice wrapping on it, it's going to have a, it's going to be met with a big reaction. Maybe we can just kind of slide this under, Yeah. you know, I don't know. Well, so I think the question I ask is, do you think they anticipated this size of a backlash?
2: I don't, I don't think they possibly could have. Yeah.
1: Like it's it's weird. What's the, the Don Draper line? Like if you don't want like, if you don't like what people are saying, change the conversation. Or, or like yeah, in, right. in this case, like they there was no narrative. There was no conversation. And so the first thing I saw of, of it was I, I believe Liverpool is playing Leeds. And Leeds is another interesting story because they they languished for decades in Division Two or mm-hmm. the championship, whatever it's called. They've just got back in. So they're, they're a very, you know, highly historical club who languished for a couple of decades, just got back in this year, mm. earned their way back into the Premier League, the top tier of English football. And they were playing Liverpool, one of the teams who, you know, it was proposed to enter the Super League. They were playing, the, the players from Leeds before the game were wearing these T-shirts. I think it said, earn, earned it, or I earned my way. Like, basically, oh. like, football, football is about, you know, earning your way into these competitions right and, and it was kind of awkward because jürgen klopp the the manager of liverpool was like walking around with like and he seems like he's a nice guy everyone seems to like him but he's like folding his arms he's all like oh, he's is so awkward like i don't know how to react like i've got to how do you disagree with these guys they just earned their way back in after languishing for several decades anyway i digress
2: you should watch his take on it like when they asked him i think it was after that game and he was very much on the side of the liverpool fans like and Liverpool is a, another great example. Like, Liverpool's a historic club, huge club, huge following. But, you know, as, as recently as what, five or six years ago, they were crap. They were middle tier. Yeah. They were not a great, they were not good. But that's the thing, right? Like, the, um, the that's why the super club, what was it called? Super League. The super super, League, super yeah. League. Yeah. 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 Is, is inherently kind of, dumb because it's 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 arbitrary but not arbitrary like yeah. some of those clubs are not great clubs right now have they been sure could they be yeah but what they've got in common is in my opinion is they have a massive deficits to make up
1: right yeah right yeah. Right. And that's what
0: unites them
2: <laughs> yeah right and the 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 spanish ones are are strange because you know the presidents of those clubs are voted in by the fans yeah and the way they get voted in is they just it's just like a politician they make massive uh promises to spend on the best players and uh and they do and they just run up these debts i'll send you guys the chart like it was just a a, it was it was suddenly you just realized what they all had in common it wasn't for the love of the game it was to make more money you know period
1: you you know that's interesting because i'll you know, we were talking about Moneyball earlier. I remember the, the line, you know, the Michael Lewis book he said, he was talking about the discrepancy between the, what the A's payroll, which I think at the time was around 30-plus million, playing the Yankees, and the Yankees' payroll was, I believe, north of 100 at the time. So I'm, it, it's dwarfed dwarf now, right? So we're talking about a team playing another team with a payroll discrepancy of, you know, times three. And he, he said... The Yankees, for better or worse, are, and I quote, the most egregious example of financial determinism, right? Yeah. Mike actually used to always give me crap for saying egregious, so I did get it into the pod, so I'm sure you're happy about that. But I guess what I'm saying is, it's not human nature to want to root for the the overdog or the big yep. dog, right? It's like, it, it sort of goes against our better instincts, Yeah. But it's, too, it's too easy. Right. And- um. It's, it's like when I moved to San Francisco in 2016, the Warriors were such a juggernaut. And then yeah. they, they, they won 73 and nine. Then they signed KD, Kevin Durant, after going 73 and nine. And then it just, it wasn't fair. And I, I just, I, I couldn't really get around them. I, I'm just like, yeah, I mean, it's not even a sport. But now I actually really love the Warriors because they're like a plucky underdog and mm-hmm. there's a lot to like about them. And Steph Curry is the most likable superstar perhaps in the world. Anyway. I guess what I'm saying is, like, just to create a league of New York Yankees. Yeah, there's going to be uh, some appeal to that, but it's also going to be a lot of resentment. So uh-huh. even if they like succeeded here, I-, I think there would have been a lot of backlash going forward. It seems boring. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, it just, yeah.
2: I, I I don't see the excitement piece. I it. I love the idea of having um, like it's it's to me it's it's fun to hate on the Yankees, fun to hate on the the super teams. Right, domestic, you know, in our leagues here. Sure. Um, but I got I, again, like I don't want to sound like this naive, um, idiot. But like I, I get that these teams have bills to pay. I understand that. Yeah. But it just the stuff like this is not. You don't buy a football team to make a profit. You don't buy a sports team to make a profit. They're they're horrible businesses. Yeah. Look at the NHL.
1: You know. <laughs> yeah, but look at okay, look at what uh, Balmer bought the Clippers for in 2014 and what they're worth today.
2: Well, okay. Depending on the league, depending on the league. You're right. right, You're right. You're right. But well, well, it does depend
0: on the league a lot. Like what you're you're saying though is, is, is in European football. It's not like a, it's not like American sports. I mean, NHL side, which I understand. I don't even know what their economics are. If those owners are making money on those teams or not. Uh, I know they signed a recent broadcast deal again, finally with uh ESPN. That's probably a big deal. But mm-hmm. um, you know, what you're saying is 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 European soccer owners, those clubs, they should be in it not to just make a profit. They're in it for other reasons, which is hence why a lot of them are in debt. Is that what you're yeah. getting at, Michael?
1: Yeah. 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 Well, cool. Like just moving on a little bit. I, I'm I'm keen, like again, you you are the most enduring soccer fan. Um American soccer fan that I'm aware of. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm not, I don't, you know, I know a lot of people who like you know, football, but you seem to have been a fan since it must have been quite difficult to watch these games in the early 90s. I mean, what to you was the draw card? I mean, even the fact that, you know, you, you mentioned Formula One, like you seem to have, and even your taste in music, right? I mean, like you seem to have always been looking externally. From the united states is there some is there part of the international appeal of it is the fact that it's hmm. it's non-american like, like what is it about the culture of, of football european football that has been appealing to you for so long
2: for me it all you know all those the one thing all those things have in common is you you there was a period of time where you had to work to acquire it or find it or see it or be part of it like hmm. you know for the nine in the 90s i would get up on a Saturday morning at five o'clock, and go to an English uh, bar across yeah. town, yeah, and pay five dollars at the door to come in and eat toast, drink really bad coffee, and watch a single game. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get to choose who; I was just to watch the game to be around the other thirty idiots who would do this as well. You know, mm-hmm. and. I, I, I loved the, I, I just love the idea of having to seek things out, you know, whether that's music or sports or whatever for, for me, the EPL, the premier league has just been something I've loved since, you know, the, the, uh, NASL folded in the U S cause I grew up, you know, a huge soccer fan and, you know, uh, when my par- I'm not gonna like make you guys cry, but you know when my parents divorced when I was a kid, my uh, my dad and I would talk about soccer made in Germany. It was the only soccer you could get on TV. It was on PBS. There mm-hmm. were these games in the '70s that were like squashed down to an hour on PBS, and he hated soccer. I I knew he hated soccer, but he pretended that he watched it in his apartment, and then we would talk about the game the next day yeah um that's a really important memory for me yeah and um going to oakland stomper games when they had a nasl team and i just grew up loving soccer and so when there was no league here um i turned to, to england because a yeah. i could understand the language mm-hmm. you know and uh yeah so it just went from there and then you know the sounders here in seattle when they were uh that's another great that's see that that is my version of, of relegation yeah. almost like the sounders yeah. were in a league called the A League.
1: Mm-hmm. they were yeah.
2: in nasl then they were in all these like little leagues where you know um they would play in parks like they were, they were but they existed and you mm-hmm. followed them and now they're you know now they're champs
1: yeah perennial champ or perennial, perennial like you know titans in the in the, yeah. the mls and the stadium is packed the stadium is packed they also have And we've talked about this, and we we, we need to address this. Um, The early Sounders kits were glory, like like those the white,
2: yep, another one with with the
1: the light blue and the the dark green, yeah, the trend, like uh, just spectacular. And I will say this: as you're a brand guy, we talked about distinctive assets, right? Mm -hmm. They decided when the Sounders relaunched, it was very savvy. They decided to own a color, that color being. (sighs) rave green right but uh, do you how much do you think as a marketing guy as a brand guy the fact that they've gone with such an iconic distinctive look do you think that has helped their their status as a juggernaut in in u.s soccer
2: yes that's what Absolutely. i thought Absolutely, <laughs> rave green till i die no it, but it's true though right it's true. like yeah it, it's interesting it would have been maybe a different story if they had launched with the MLS because you remember the early MLS yeah. kits, which are, you know, suddenly kind of back in vogue a little bit now, like some of the teams are doing Oh yeah, throwbacks. like San
1: Jose Clash. Yeah. They're like amazingly bad. And even like the early Galaxy ones.
2: Oh yeah. Like yeah. I, I, yeah. And um, yeah. So I, I like it. The Sounders had a third kit couple of years ago that was a throwback to their nasl days which yep. i think was really great and then obviously the super cyan which we talk about a lot which is the <laughs> most horrible you know whatever
1: i just it, brit it looks like a kit designed for like like three-year-old boys yeah it like, looked it, like yeah. it was
2: yeah it was like, looking like it was cyan. a costume
1: yeah wow horrible That's a bold choice and you yeah. know what brit actually just tired, not to go too off the res brit you and i ate at kayo the other day a few weeks, you know, the restaurant. A few weeks yeah. earlier, I was there at Cayo and I saw on the menu there was a drink called Super Cyan. Like spelled differently, but I took a photo and sent it to Mike. Yeah. He said, like, did you make this? <laughs> anyway, it was quite good. Sorry, um, weird digression. European, soccer,
0: European football club branding is, would be its own sub, sub-conversation yeah. in all this. I find it kind of, I don't feel like the brand identity, and maybe this is just the American iconography that's been hammered in my brain i feel like it's just a it's a suite of like crests and i'm like i almost like it's when i look at my my last name is rice i try to find my surname and the crests you know online which is all kind of like probably a scam but like i'm like none of them have that distinct identity like i i know like manchester united has like that distinct like red and yellow but the brand, the branding for the European soccer league, as an American, seems very like the, the identities don't seem very strong to me. I love the names, you know, Arsenal and Real Madrid, etc. You know, from an outsider looking in, it seems like the branding, the brand equity, or how they how they orchestrate those brands, is very different than American sports.
1: Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree. At the same time, there is that rejection of Americanization of things. Uh, Mike, yeah, I don't know if you good. remember this, yeah. like. Leeds, like this, maybe five years ago, they tried to do a rebrand and their rebrand, their, their crest became, this became super like meta. I'll put this in the, in the document. The crest became a guy, like the torso of a man, like with his arm on the crest. Like it like, looked very cartoony. Like you just, uh, uh, and the fans just went, this is utterly ridiculous. Get rid of it. Cause you know, people don't like change. But by the way, they had like these leads had these weird modernist, looked like like a like a splash of color. Like if you look at their logo in the seventies, like leads you know the LU, it looked like a little kid like finger painting logo, like in a good way. It's like ooh, this is pretty highbrow, artistic. Anyway, so they have experimented and like Inter Milan just that they evolved theirs just the other day. But again, it's 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 not normally wholesale changes. It's more like the way Peugeot might evolve their logo or Volkswagen, like just very subtle evolution to evolution. make more distinct and um, but not you know, very maybe, you know,
2: aggressive animals well maybe it's because i'm like kind of in the weeds on it but yeah. i actually think it's the opposite i think that the the it is a, like the crest i you know i couldn't draw any a single team's crest i just couldn't uh sure however i know that uh newcastle will always have black and white stripes i know that uh united is going to be red yeah i know that uh city is going to be blue
1: and barcelona
2: yeah you know some it's it's the it's the um like what i love about some of the the teams in in europe are like the colors are regional right they're very evocative of the region of the country the team is from less so in england
1: but catalonia being the famous one uh in in barcelona brit As a Lionel Messi's team, so you're saying you're saying
0: like those a lot of football clubs have, you know, like for example, like in in the United States, those logos may be iconic, but the color the color scheme is kind of not as ownable. I mean, there's exceptions, right? But like the San Jose Sharks with their uh, with their teal, for example. But what you're saying, and maybe I'm 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 just trying to be like really thick headed about this. European football has those clubs have distinct colorways or color, color palettes. And that's how that's their differentiations. Is that, is that, is that a fair yeah. thing
1: to say? I would say that's totally fair. I would also say like, uh, Iax, which is the iconic Dutch club in Amsterdam the, I saw them, the, the, their brand has been growing a bit. Like they're sort of one of the feeder club They bring up a lot of talent and then they get poached by the big dogs. But I saw they were saying, yeah, like a lot of clubs, they, you know, change their logo and whatever, whatever we are always, we have the red stripe down the middle of the white or sorry, Red jersey, white stripe down the middle. Like, like Barcelona, like mixes up their thickness, they go horizontal, like they bring in a different shade occasionally. Same with Real Madrid, but like Ajax, always the same. So that's uh, they certainly own that. I remember I was in Glasgow this years ago, I think 2003, and a lot of the pubs in Glasgow said, they didn't say no football jerseys, they didn't say no football scars, they said no football colors allowed in this pub. Yeah. Whoa. Because it was big cross town, the Celtic and, yeah. and Rangers, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, it, like th- that distinctiveness very much holds true. Um, and, and look, again, those those are split along sectarian lines. So there's a lot of kind of weird, ugly history there. But they are pretty distinct, I, and I totally agree with you, um, Britt. On the, the logos are pretty weird, but I think a lot is because there's such equity in the in the look and feel as well oh, as yeah. the ingrained culture.
2: I think there's a whole book to be written on uh the phenomenon of the third jersey. Oh. Yeah, you know, no. it's a great uh, way to make money. Yes. Um and that has come over to the US. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, all the MLS teams have a third jersey. The NFL when they do those weirdo like color were those color Yeah, color rush, Color Rush, Color Rush. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know.
1: That that's totally it because if you look at some of the I mean Manchester United's uh, third jersey, same with uh, Paris Saint-Germain this year. They actually look like high fashion. Like they nice. like, like like you should say this, but I'll I'll put, I'll put some of them that's, to your point, Mike, they definitely made their way into um, the uh, NBA as well. Yep. Huge. It's a pity so, so many of them are just terrible, though. Yeah, They should do a absolutely. much better job. Nike should be doing a better job with that. But I, I just always think of, like, Liverpool introducing, like, like it's, it's not even teal. It's almost like a mint green mm-hmm. as there a road kit. And now- it's I know become, the
2: exact one you're talking about.
1: Yeah, it now it's become so popular. Like, it's, the trim is on their neck of their home jersey. Anyway. Yeah. We can talk about this all day long, but um, I just wanted to switch gears and talk a little bit about Smiling lines. I'm very, you know, very excited for this initiative of yours. I mean, do, do you want to talk about that at all?
2: Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. It is, uh, you know, for 20 years, I've, um, I've worked in-house, uh, Starbucks and Amazon and at agencies. Um, and I, for the first time, have decided, you know, I just left Amazon last month. I've decided to go out on my own, and you know, I. It's interesting. I think I had an. I. I don't think I've ever done it before, Um, because I didn't have enough confidence in myself. If I'm being completely honest. Yeah. And uh, I can I tell the quick story of how I arrived at it. Well, yeah, it's, it's a yeah. great name. Well, it's interesting. I um, I, I I was really when I when I decided I was going to leave Amazon, I said, you know, maybe this is the time that I do it. And, yeah. you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. I said, you know what? I, I don't think I, I can do it. But suddenly I remembered this story, this Beatles story about uh, Paul McCartney was telling this story about how the Beatles had kind of hit a creative malaise and uh, they didn't know which, where, where to go or what to do. And Paul McCartney came up with this idea. To, he just landed on this idea of well, what if we became a different band? We could do anything. So mm-hmm. that's where the germ of uh, Sergeant Pepper came.
1: Never and heard it, of it.
2: Yeah, well, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's it's often overlooked in their catalog. I don't. It, it, <laughs> it you know they by becoming Sergeant Pepper, it unlocked all of this creativity mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. freedom, and so. As I was, and I always, and I, I remember reading that a long time ago, but I don't know why I always have thought about that. And I, I suddenly realized that that was what I should do. I should mm. start a thing
0: mm-hmm.
2: and, be, and, and I did, it was smiling lions and I believe in smiling lions. I don't have to believe in myself. I believe in, in what I've started. And so Sp- smiling lions it, to me what i'm trying to do with Spining alliance is to create strategies for startups and you know brands and organizations that are grounded in three things empathy courage and optimism and i think that those three things cut coming out of this election cycle coming out of covid coming just where we are as a culture in the us those three things are what People are gravitating; will be gravitating to for years to come from companies and brands and teams. And I just think I want to make marketing that's a little bit kinder, that um, makes people feel good. Because you know, the other thing that I've kind of landed on, and this is a little hippy dippy, but you know, these brands and people and customers they share communities. And I got a lot of that from working at Starbucks. It's never left me, and I think there is a role. To play and i i want the communities that, that these you know two cultures exist in to to be better for people so that's what i'm trying to do
1: i i love that and that's you know cool. y- one thing you've talked to me uh all over the years about you know you're a fan of second acts and um just yeah. to quote uh so we beat on both against the current born back ceaselessly into the past you talk about you know, what? all my buttons. Yeah. <laughs> so, when you talk about Gatsby, right? What what appeals to you? But like, why is that story? That's a second act story. That's a, an alter ego identity mm-hmm. that precipitated some type of business endeavor or, or new endeavor. what's what do you think? What do you think the appeal of that is? Same reasons for Sergeant Pepper, or something subtly different?
2: Uh, that's a good point. You know, I think I can only speak for myself on this. Is it's also, a little, it's also a little bit about what you asked earlier about music and why I started following European sports and F1 and all that is I, I think I've, I've always tried to, I don't know, be someone else or ex- like bring these things to, to change myself in a way, and wear these things as badges. Um, I think for me, I definitely, the second act piece is huge. Like, this is what I want to do with the second half of my career is do some, because, you know, I like, I, I have benefited a lot um, from a lot of the inequalities in this country in, in the workplace. And I want to figure out a way that I can begin to push that back. And that is by trying to bring in differing, uh, differing cultures, different people into my life. To do this work with to go and work with like-minded people who are who have different opinions or bring different uh um experiences from from different countries and different cultures into the into the work i'm doing so uh, i this is i can't it's funny that you brought that up but it really is my 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 attempt at reinventing who i am just like uh gatsby
0: what i really love about that michael is and this is that's a this is a very powerful thought that you just shared that resonates with me which is i don't always have to necessarily believe in myself but i can believe in this idea yeah. and that's huge because then it it takes the pressure off of this oh this is all built upon me and my personality and whatever no actually this is something outside of me that can live on beyond me that can exist outside of me i can believe in this even if i feel like maybe Depending on the day, I may not have it in me, or I may not feel up to it. This idea is is can can continue to pull me forward. I that's I don't know. I just want to highlight that that's really powerful to me. I appreciate that. Yeah, I got two questions really quick. One is there a future for Super League? Is this going' It just popped its head out, kind of like the early '90s. There was a version of this. It was like, oh, hey, okay, no, okay, we're just gonna go away. We're gonna go away. Do you think that? Do you think this is gonna come back and just be a kind of reoccurring? iteration that continues to get pushed back and pushed back. And at some point,
2: yeah, is there a future for this? Two things to that. One is if, if, if they cannot institute some sort of salary cap-esque thing in European football yeah. To, yeah, to curb the spending that these teams are doing, then yes, it'll come back. If, if, if they can do that, that, that will save football, I think. If they can't do that, then there will be a super league. My God, I hope they have a different name for it though. Uh, it's so like hire, hire smiling lions. We will, we can do some, some naming strategies. Uh, we'll hire uh, Charlie to do the uniform. Um, <laughs> you won't yeah. have to. You
1: not even have to pay me.
2: Yeah, I think it. I think well. Now you know my business model. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think it will be back. Okay. Yeah, I think it'll be back
0: my 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 final question, and this is more of a just a broader curiosity as an american, so there's there's, there's this weird relationship between americans and 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 soccer we'll call it soccer just because of the american context what is what is America's aversion to soccer? I feel like it just never it 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 just hits a level, but then. It never, it never catches steam. I'm, I'm just curious, and maybe that's changing. And if it is changing, talk about that. I'm just curious, like the relationship uh, between the United States and soccer seems to be a weird one.
2: Uh, I think it's because we didn't invent it. You know? okay. I mean? Like it's not, <laughs> sure. it's not ours. But I will say this: COVID notwithstanding, like I've, I've been to Sounder games that had more people than Seahawk games, and wow. Yeah. When you, there are very few teams that are not drawing. Like the Sounders, I think, are, they're not even the biggest. Like, look at the team in Atlanta.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: The, that is phenomenal, what's happening there. And the, the thing that I love about my Sounders is there's also Portland's team. There's that rivalry. There's the, there's, there's huge, by the way. That, that I five rivalry with those three teams is old school nasl all those teams played each other there's all these great stories we're beginning to get our own history there yeah i think when you compare it to you know the the um glitterati of the nfl and the personalities of the nba it doesn't compare like it it just doesn't and a part of it is that for so long our feeder system has been college and college alone Mm-hmm. And college soccer, you know, isn't whereas the European leagues all have training academies, and, and so we've, we're starting to move to that model as well. And we've got lesser leagues that are starting to draw well. I don't think it'll ever be leading the um, ESPN Sports Center, it just I don't know in my lifetime it'll be there, but the fact that you know I can turn on the TV. Yeah. In my own home, that's a deal with soccer in America, right? Like I can turn on the TV in my own home, and watch so many different leagues, including my own. Yeah, from the US, I don't have to get up at four a.m. right and go eat toast in a stinky bar, <laughs> paying five bucks. Right, like right, it's
1: great. I, I want to say one other thing that's on that. Cool. Americans, I think, not invented here, is is a certain uh, component, but I would also say Americans do love a winner. Like that, they, they love the best, right? Yeah. Now, I would argue that most 25-year-old Americans could identify Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo more than they could identify Mike Trout if he was walking down the street, but by far, Hmm. by a factor of 50, right? So, it's less like, yeah, like the MLS has taken a while. Like, it's a new league. It's historically, what, 20-plus years old? It's not old. There you go. Um, so there is definitely an appetite for all this, all the European, the, the, the glitterati of the the uh, European clubs, and that that's going to slowly evolve. and And I also also say like I remember Chuck Klosterman said something like soccer will never catch on in the U.S. here in mainstream way because it's it's about any quotes outcast culture. It is like all the, all those kind of weirdos who would go to the Bartlett that you described, yeah. like super fiends, and it's like the the super fiendhood. <laughs> To coin a term, uh, is never going to be mainstream, but I do think it's a it's been a slow drip, and it's going that way. And you just look at the enthusiasm for the, the club system. You know whether it's I remember Detroit Detroit FC, right? You know they're, they're second tier. And, you know we talk about Minnesota, we talk about you know it could be the Fresno Fuego. I saw an ill-fated club, the San Francisco Deltas, which played for one club yep. one, one season. They had all these fans with all the music, like. It's the draw of the fandom yeah. as much as it is about the sport. And I think that's that's where it's, it's like meeting or or catering to an unmet need as the other sports have not to this if point. You, that's a Let good me point.
2: ask you this. Yeah. Let me flip that. Charlie, when you – if if you – I don't know if you were or were not, but growing up in Australia, if you were an NFL fan, what did you have to do to access mm. the NFL?
1: I mean, I, I could, like, I couldn't. I mean – we, we only got cable whenever it was, you know, by the time I was – I mean, Foxtel was the first one, uh, sort of um, – it was definitely the 90s, right? So I'd heard my, – my interaction with American football was like Emmett Smith commercials that, you know, Reebok would occasionally do one. I'd heard of Joe Montana, right? And I also remembered, like, everyone's going, oh, the sport's actually kind of garbage. Like, it's just this stop-start crap. Yeah. And, and Australia's, like, huge, like – it's a huge sporting culture and we've got a lot, like, you know, two, two codes of rugby and the biggest game is Australian football, right? So you, you watch NFL and then you watch this, it's like, well, this is, this is a better spectator sport. There's less stoppages, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. I, I know of the personalities just because I've always been interested in that. But again, it, all my friends now, like not all of them, but my brother's friend, you know, the mid thirties, they all follow the NFL. Like it's much more accessible now so that yeah. they, they appreciate I, the product.
2: I wonder what it would be like to talk to somebody who, is just a super fiend for uh, the NBA who lives in Manchester. Like, oh. how do you, wh- what was that like? What's it like? How do you, like, how do you access it? The other thing I just thought about while you were saying that is that the US sports, say the big three, big four, if you put NHL in, is well, don't put NHL, but the big three, like, those are fantastic televised sports.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hate
2: going going to I hate going to NFL games. It's, yeah It's boring. But I'll watch a game on TV because it's somehow made built for, for TV. TV. Yeah. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and soccer isn't. No. It's 40, like when the MLS started, they would have like these weirdo, they'd go to commercials and I can remember like the World Cup going to commercials. In this <laughs> That's true. <country>, right. <laughs> right? And now it but but it's like how do you get somebody to sit still for 45 minutes and you know watch these Watch this game. You almost need the NFL stop start and the television timeouts as they have. You know they built it into the sport.
1: Or all, all yeah. the I don't even know what they were called, like the hockey style penalty kicks from the inaugural MLS oh, season. Britt, you have to watch these. These are like it's it's so embarrassing. What so like you know a penalty it? kick, like basically they tried to br- like the penalty kicks are really boring in the US. So they go for MLS. We're going to have these weird. We're going to invent a way that people take penalties they have to dribble it in from halfway Mm. and it just it looks it's the corniest thing you've ever seen
2: no but it wasn't even about penalty kicks it was that we can't deal with ties
1: oh you're not allowed to have ties
2: in the u.s (laughs) that's true and that's what what were those kicks called they're hilarious they were hilarious and they were timed it was like they'd roll this big clock onto the field it was this weird (laughs) it's it's really ridiculous every time a european soccer fan would, would, I would talk to one and they would bring this thing up. I'd be like, I don't, I don't know whose idea it was, but you talk about innovation, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, at go. least they're trying
1: things, right? Well, yeah. It was
2: hilarious. I kind of, but the name was hilarious. Go find yeah. out the name. Yeah. Uh, and, um, but that, yeah, but you know, these sports are the, this idea of like, you look at the NFL, they have TV timeouts. So those timeouts are actually affecting the game itself. Right. Right. And like uh, my son, I, you know, I follow F1. My son is a massive NASCAR guy Mm. just from birth. You know, he's very numbers oriented. He loves all the numbers on the car and on the TV screen. There's like data everywhere, but they have a thing now where like they've broken the race into four quarters now. And I, he and I argue about it all the time. I think I say, that's the stupidest thing. Like, why would you stop a race? And You know what I mean? It affects the sport itself, like yeah. TV. Yep. So maybe that's, we come full circle on the Super League in that it's really all about TV. Yep. And it's easier to sell the big games to TV for big money than it is to sell the smaller ones.
1: Were they called breakaway yeah. penalties or, or, or just a shootout? Shootout. Like, that's yeah, really yeah, okay. Shootout. Even
2: the name is so US. <laughs> I just love it. And, you know, it's like they couldn't deal with the tie and, It was, they had to do something. I I remember when the NFL had a lot, had ties. You can't even have, you can still have them, but like, they'll do everything to avoid it. Yeah. How does stuff end in a tie, man? I'm like, I I like ties.
0: That's the American thing, right? Like you were saying, Chuck, uh, American, Americans like need a winner.
1: Yeah. 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 We need the winner. Totally. Yeah. Well, I know we're, we're getting a little long in the tooth yeah. here, but I really appreciate you taking the time, Mike. It's been a, a fun conversation. Um, thanks for joining us. I knew you'd, be, uh, you'd have strong opinions on this, and uh, it's been great to catch up, and um, I'm, gl- I'm glad you're a fan of the, the pod.
2: I, I, you guys are doing something very valuable here. Oh, that's great. You're changing appreciate hearts it. and minds.
1: That's the plan. <laughs> that's <laughs> the plan. Cyan, go Sounders. <laughs> All, right. All right, cheers. <laughs> bye, great guys. chatting. All right, thanks, well.
2: Michael. Bye. Take care. Right, care. Bye. bye.
0: Uh, that is it for uh, this week, everybody. You are listening to the Furious Curious, hosted and produced by me, Britton Rice, and my esteemed colleague here, Charlie Quark, uh, We are here in San Francisco, California. Make sure you subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple and Spotify. And whenever you get, uh, whenever you get to your podcasts, like please rate us, like wherever that is, because it helps us find, it helps other people find the podcast uh,
1: more easily. And make sure you follow us on Instagram at the underscore furious, underscore curious, and on Twitter at the FRS We welcome your comments, insults, constructive feedback, as well as suggestions for what we should do next. We've been getting a lot of good topics, a lot of good suggestions coming in. So keep them coming, guys, because we're enjoying making them. Right on. Until next week stay curious out out well they said you were a bright child never anything but joy behind your eyes no sign of all the dark clouds spreading like volcanic dust over your blue skies now they're looking for an answer where the rot set in and set up the landslide but it only makes it worse